This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. This episode of All Have Another Podcast and all of the episodes in the Chicago Marathon Recap Series are presented by Athletic Greens. Go to athleticgreens.com slash Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y, for five free travel packs plus a year-long supply of vitamin D. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you're here today. This is our second episode in the six-part Chicago Marathon series, and today my guest is your new American record holder in the marathon, Emily Sisson. Emily ran a 2.18.29 in Chicago, a huge PR for her, and she set the American record in the marathon, which is so exciting. In May, she also set the American record in the half marathon, so Emily is having herself a year. I recorded a pre-Chicago interview with Emily, and that is over on Relay if you want to hear about what was going on in her life before Chicago. And you can join that community if you just go to patreon.com slash Relay. In this episode, we do talk all things the Chicago Marathon, what she was thinking, her mindset going into the race, and what she was thinking in regards to breaking 220. Was she going after the American record? What she is excited about now? Emily is also an Olympian. She ran in the last Olympics in the 10,000, and it was really fun to catch up with Emily and just get to know her a little bit more. If you enjoy this podcast or any of the episodes we're doing in this series, please consider leaving us a quick rating and review on iTunes or Spotify. That is a really helpful way to help us grow this show, and I just appreciate it so very much. All right, friends, enjoy my conversation with Emily Sisson. All right, well, today on the podcast, I am so excited to welcome our American record holder for the marathon, Emily Sisson. Welcome to the show, Emily. Hi, thanks for having me. So excited to have you back on. Uh, You were so gracious to come on before Chicago to our Relay account. And man, as I was watching Chicago, I was just thinking, I can't believe she was so sweet to give us her time over there on Relay in that small community. And now here she is breaking an American record. <laughs> I, I'm trying to remember. It feels so long ago. I'm trying to remember what we talked about. But oh, that it wasn't um, a big deal at all. Well, we talked a lot about you breaking the half marathon record in Indy, actually. Oh, OK. Yeah, that sounds like vaguely familiar. Yeah. I feel like I've talked about that a bit lately. So yeah, I was super fired up about that. And we didn't really talk much about truly going for the American record. We talked about, you know, you had really big goals for this race and you felt like it was really your truly second marathon, you know, that you're competing in. Um, But we didn't get into details about time much and American record much. So uh, when I saw you at the elite press conference, kind of lay it out there on stage, I got really excited. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it was a it was a really good weekend, a really good day. So um, I'm happy it all worked out with the marathon. You, you just never know. There's so many variables. There's so many factors. So um, to have everything come together on one day feels pretty special. You were so fierce out there, Emily. 
like <laughs> from start to finish. And you have to know that you broke the American record, but seeing you come down that home stretch. And I think it was Des Linden who tweeted like Emily Sisson showing you it in fact is a sprint, not a marathon. Um, that made me laugh, yeah. <laughs> wasn't that hilarious? Yeah, she's funny. I don't think I've ever seen anybody sprint to the finish so hard in a marathon. Yeah, I was closing really fast because I heard, well, with 2K to go, a lot of people told me to pick it up mm -hmm. and I didn't know what pace I was on. So I figured they were saying that because I was close to something. And so I didn't know if it was like the American record or breaking 220 or what. I just thought like I was on like the verge of um, breaking one of those. And then when I got to uh, the last turn, like I think you have like 200 to go somewhere within the 200 meter like stretch. I heard, I think it was the announcer say uh, 219. And I, I know I couldn't run 200 meters in 12 seconds, but I don't know. I just started sprinting. I was like, oh, I'm close to the record. And so I just like started like, I don't know, I'm just trying to get to the finish line as fast as I could. And uh, and then I got there. So I was surprised by the time uh, when my husband told it to me. I was like, like why did she say 219? Yeah. What, what context was that in? And uh, I was like, whatever, it helped, it helped me close a bit faster. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I felt like the people around us in the stands didn't quite comprehend what was actually happening. Like my friends and I that were there, we were screaming our heads off. Like we knew where you were. We knew what you were on pace four, we could see the the clock and everything. And um, I feel like people around us thought we were crazy, but we were like, she's breaking the American <laughs> record right now. This is amazing. I I didn't know, was the clock working? Cause I don't remember seeing a clock above the finish line, but I like could have just been so like focused and out of it, I missed it. Or was it like off to the side or something? Like usually yeah. right above the finish. I think it was to the right. Oh, okay. Usually it's like right above the finish line and that's where you see it. But I don't, like, I never saw a clock. So I didn't, like, I didn't know what I was running. That's <laughs> crazy. for good thing though. I don't know. <laughs> but so you had a watch on, but you weren't paying attention. I've heard you talk about this. Like you were really just listening to your body, relying on the pacers mm -hmm. as well. But did you ever look at your watch? Yeah, I've confused a lot of people with this story. So I, I started my watch, but my instructions were not to look at my pace at all. Uh, at least for the first, like, I don't know, like probably the first like 10 miles or so, like first like half, like don't look at pace, don't work at, don't look at splits, just like go off um, your pacers. And, um, and so I'd occasionally look at like the distance on my watch, but I'd like ignore the, the pace part. Um, and I, just to see how close I was to the next like um, bottle station. So that was the only time I really looked at it was to look at distance. And then around 10 miles into the race, I noticed it actually wasn't working. And I like must have hit something like with a ball. I don't even know how I did it, but it just turned off. I just noticed it wasn't on. And um, so then I was like, oh, I actually can't look at splits anymore anyway. Um, not that I had been looking, but um, I saw the half marathon clock. So I knew I was running 219 something um, pace. And I remember reaching half marathon. I'm like, oh, I actually feel pretty good. So that's like kind of exciting. Um, maybe I'll be able to hold on to this pace. Like, I don't know. I just remember seeing the half marathon clock. And, uh, but then I didn't actually see anything from like there to the finish. So maybe like I might've seen like another clock or not know what those numbers meant, but I don't remember it. I just remember seeing the half marathon split and then um, I got my finishing time after I crossed the finish line. But I didn't know if I'd like picked it up enough. I didn't know if I like, there were patches I felt like we slowed down a little. So I really didn't know what, um, what pace we were running, I guess is like long story short. Wow, that's crazy but did the pacer stay with you 
until you like kind of sprinted it out at the finish? He stayed with me up until I want to say like that last little hill, okay, uh, which is like 300 meters, 400 meters to go. And then he kind of like veered to the right. Uh, so like he was with me like the whole way. Um, that was Johnny that went up until that point. And I, I remember at one point in the pre-race conversation, I have my coach, he told me if I'm feeling good, like to say something like with six miles to go or 5k to go to like pick up the pace. And I remember getting to a little, like a little further out than 5k to go and feeling good enough to say to Johnny, I think I can go a bit faster. So yeah, no, that's, I didn't, but I didn't know what that meant. I'm like, I just feel good right now. So let's go faster is all. I didn't know like what the, the pace meant or how fast we were going. My, my mind is just going crazy thinking about what that anticipation might have felt like for you, you know, in the elite meeting before that press conference, you had said like big goal break 220. Mm-hmm. But of course, if it was a good day, you'd want to go for the American record. So the Pacers knew those were the goals, but you yeah. didn't really know what they were doing. So like, what were their exact instructions? Like the Pacers exact instructions? The exact instructions, which I was late to our pacing meeting, but um, my coach gave them like five mile, 10 mile and like 20 mile approximate like times he'd like us to be at, which were all like 219 something pace, I believe. And um, but he said, like, uh, like, adjust based on how things are going. Um, and so a couple of times throughout the race, I would check in with uh, Johnny. Uh, I talked to him a bit, but it was him and Brian that were both helping pace. And yeah, I just kind of was paying more attention to how I felt than the splits. And I think that actually probably was a good thing in the end because um, like I, I do lack experience in the marathon. And for me to be able to just really focus on how I was feeling and focus on getting the most out of myself on that day, whatever that ended up being. And um, like, I think that focus as opposed to, okay, I need to run a 518. This mile is a little slow. This mile is a little fast. I just think it was like a better uh, way to approach it. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I just wanted to really get the most out of myself that day, whatever that was. And I think I said to like, when I was on Molly's podcast, I was like, yeah, I really genuinely would have been happy running like 219.40. Like I really wanted to break 220. Um, and the marathon, the American record was like, if everything's feeling good, like I'll go for it. But I wasn't secretly um, to my team being like, this has to be an American record or like race. Like I, I would have been happy breaking 222 or 220 as well. So that was kind of our approach. So close though, you know, if you broke 220 and then you're only, you know, 47 or 48 seconds from the American record, but would you have just visualized that as like, okay, this was a big giant step and now I know there's more. Yeah, I kind of, yeah, that's kind of how I was looking at this This is like a step back in the right direction. Um, I haven't completed a marathon since 2019 up until last week. And, uh, and so I really just wanted to gain more experience in the event, like come away knowing I got the most out of myself, which I did feel like I really maximized um, my potential on the day. I did have a little bit more left at the end than I thought I would. Mm. But that really was my, um, my goal is I'm like, whatever my like, whatever my fitness is, I want to ma- like, I want to race to my fitness level. I'm curious if relieving yourself of the pressure of the American record and A, just wanting to make the most of, of yourself on that day and B, really having that other goal of breaking 220 actually helped you succeed because you didn't feel as much of a weight. Yeah, and we have talked about that. That could have helped. And that it actually made the race like very enjoyable too because um, I wasn't like, I don't know, I wasn't tense. I didn't have to like think about 
I could just shut my mind off. I wasn't like constantly looking at splits. Um, and so maybe that did help. Um, yeah, I don't know. Cause I've, I've had races in the past where I'm trying to go after like the half record mm-hmm. and I'm like very, very aware of like where I'm at the whole time, like based off my splits. And it, I don't know, this was more enjoyable. So <laughs> there might be something to it. Uh, tell me a little bit more about your pacers. Like what's their marathon PR? How'd they get picked for this job? What's your rapport with them? Yeah. So, um, Brian Harvey helped pace me, uh, in the Indianapolis half marathon, uh, that I ran back in, uh, what one was that? May. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I believe it was May. And so he helped me there. And, uh, Johnny Miller or Jonathan Miller is uh, a new balance athlete who actually, I think, I, I don't know if he's formally retired from professional racing or, um, I know he's working for new balance now as well but he's a 210 marathoner. So for him, I was talking to him before the race and like, oh, this will probably just feel like a, like a tempo run or something. And he was like, sure, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they're both like really nice. They were so like, just, I don't know. They just did such a great job. Like I really didn't have to think about anything. They were just paying attention to running the tangents. They were looking at their watches every mile, almost in sync. I could see them both look at their watches at the same time. And it just allowed me to kind of just turn off my brain and just run Mm. and focus on how I feel or how I felt. And throughout most of the race, I was like, I feel good. Like, and there were some rough patches, but um, for the most part, I was able to just like tune into my body and kind of turn off my brain. And that helped so much. So um, yeah, they were, they did an incredible job what what were the rough patches and where were they it was mainly so there's mainly just one rough patch um it was between miles uh I, I don't know exactly where it was but i think it was around 17 to 19 or like 16 to 18 somewhere around there and i just felt like kind of fatigued all of a sudden and, I, and it was this feeling of that i was having to work a little harder to hang on to them and I, it felt almost like if I didn't come out of it, the pace we were running wouldn't be sustainable for however long we had to go. But I remember it only lasted a couple miles and I started to feel better. And Johnny turned to me around that point and asked like how I was feeling. And I told him, oh, I'm going through a rough patch but I'm coming out of it. So like we can keep going, like the pace we're going. And he was like, okay, good, like got it. And um, yeah, so that's when uh, having him there was pretty helpful to check in, but yeah, no, I, um, they did a great job and it was a great day. That's a really hard patch of the marathon regardless, because it's like, you're still pretty far from the finish line, but you're far enough in that it's starting to hurt. And then you start questioning yourself, like, what can I pull off in this last 10 K? Did you have anything you were like telling yourself to kind of relax or get back in it? Um, I think I just told myself that like, this is probably a rough patch, just hang in there. Just I told myself like just stare at their backs like I would at my husband's back when I'm doing a workout. I'm like, just stare at his back and hang on. Like, that's what I'm used to doing when Shane's pacing me at a workout. So that's what I told myself to do. And I kind of just like focused on, I don't know, just like focused on how good I'd been feeling and how like, we're at mile like whatever. And this is the first time I'm feeling a bit fatigued. Um, and then I, yeah, and then I just slowly, I'm like, okay, I'm feeling better now. I'm feeling like a little more lively. Uh, and then I kind of just like forgot about it. I like let go of, uh, thinking about how tough those two miles were and just started focusing on how, like I was feeling a lot better again. I don't know if that makes sense, but I hear that's kind of common in road races and longer ones to go in and out of rough patches like that. I mean, this is such a common thing you have to do as a 
runner at your level or any athlete at your level is like, you have to be so laser focused on like getting to that finish line and running as hard as you can. And you clearly have like a very sharp mental game. Where are you like learning these skills from? I mean, it's like physically training. You have to like continuously sharpen your brain as well. So like, where are you learning those skills? Um, I think naturally I've always been someone that has been pretty good at focusing on one task, like for an extended period of time. I've always been really good at focusing. Um, Sometimes it can actually be a weakness, but I have worked on um, some mental, uh, my mental game, I guess. In the past, I worked with a sports psychology coach, uh, Roisin McGettigan-Dumas. She's an Irish Olympian and she was coached by my coach, Ray Tracy, and went to um, the college I went to. And uh, she's about like, probably like 10 years older than me. Um, but I worked with her and she actually gave me some great tips. And I always feel like a little weird talking about it because I don't want to give away like all this stuff she helped me with because um, that's uh, like, that's her job. Um, and so I don't know, there's like things we talked about, we worked together for like, probably only five months. And there's so many little tips she gave me that I like still think about today. And like, the one, the biggest one probably is I used to be someone that, um, I don't know how to describe it, not, not sensitive in the way you think of someone that's sensitive, but sensitive to like surroundings and um, lots of noise and um, like media attention, stuff like that. It used to be very like, like I find all that stuff really exhausting to be around sometimes. And I remember talking to her before going to big races like a USA's and I just say like, I feel so drained sometimes when I'm there, there's so much going on and like, it's all great stuff, but like, it sometimes like just makes me tired. <laughs> and, uh, and she gave me like one piece of advice to kind of just be, um, I forget what she said, it was like the eye of a hurricane or like the eye of the storm. She's like, you know, you can acknowledge all the like media, um, all the hype, all the noise around these big events is really good for the sport. Um, but then at the same time, not let it affect you. You can kind of protect your space a bit and, you know, show up at your commitments, do the interviews you're going to do. But then um, at the end of the day, just like it doesn't doesn't touch you. It doesn't affect you. Just acknowledge its noise. It is what it is. And it's really good for the sport. And I remember being like 23 or 24 and like that just like stuck. <laughs> and so now I don't necessarily have to think about that. That's just kind of how I like am, like how I go about um go about like my day uh when I'm at like a big big race but I used to really struggle with that and um and so she's helped me with so many things like that and uh I won't give away all the other stuff I know she's busy but she I know she still takes clients and everything so uh, she was really helpful you heard it here we have the American record holder in the marathon it worked for her it'll work for you (laughs) and Roisin is uh, she's one of the co-hosts on Molly and Alicia's podcast, right? Yes, she is. Yeah. And she also, um, the Believe I Am Training Journal, her and Lauren Fleshman, they created that. A lot of people know what that is. Yeah. One of the, um, I'm doing a lot of post-Chicago interviews and um, one of the women I'm interviewing, she just got her OTQ for the first time and she uses that training journal and speaks really highly of how it really has helped her mentally and in that getting that positive mental space pre before the race and also during the race yeah they actually have a lot of those um tips on the pages in between it's a like a training journal um i sound like i'm uh selling an ad but no it's a training <laughs> journal. and she does share a lot of her tips in between the like the logs where you can log your mileage 
Emily Sisson does not have an affiliate link to the Believe I Am Training <laughs> Journal. Um, so I want to talk about Molly a little bit because you had this really, I think it was before the race, a really special post where you just kind of briefly mentioned Molly Huddle and how, you know, she said something along the lines of it's really cool, you know, to be at the peak because I think you were talking about, you know, going all in on something, right? Yeah. Yeah, that it was actually, um, so she, I think, wrote the article, like, before the race, but I think it only came out after. Okay. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, what was the quote? It was, um, oh, yeah, uh, about being pointy. Yeah, yeah pointy. Something. Yeah, yeah, which uh, I remember her giving me that advice years ago, and it just, that also really stuck. And um, I don't think it should be confused at all with, like, the win at all cost mentality. That's not at all what it means. <laughs> um, it's more um, just don't be afraid to put yourself out there and take risks and go for something big because you do only have this short time um, in life to really, I don't know, tr like I think her quote was try to be great at something. So like go, like just go all in and uh, don't be afraid, I guess, I think is kind of how I took it anyway. Yeah, I think that's really beautiful. And I'm curious like what your relationship with Molly looks like today and like what your training in the past and everything, like how that has been a part of your career and what she means to you. I think when I graduated college, we, it was meant to be like, we were meant to be like teammates. Um, but it kind of did turn into more of like a mentor mentee mm -hmm. relationship. And I am really grateful that she like did help me as much as she did because she didn't need to do that. She was like in the, like, I don't know, she was like running American records and uh, like making Olympic teams. And I was this like 23 year old just out of college. And I was just amazed just being around her and getting to learn from her. And um, she has been really generous with like her time and um, with just like helping me out uh, as I've like grown up through this sport since college, I guess. I guess not grown up, but as I've kind of grown through the sport. And uh, yeah, so I think like she's always been someone that I don't not that I necessarily asked her a bunch of questions but just being around her and being able to observe like observe how she handled things and how she handled setbacks and um especially things that just didn't go her way uh that was like really um important for me to learn and see because oftentimes you see these people that are just having so much success in the sport they make it look so easy and you think oh it just comes easier to some people but um even though she makes it look so easy it like she works really hard to make it look that easy this episode of the podcast is supported by Athletic Greens, and I got to tell you, I am hooked on Athletic Greens. I have been hearing about AG1 forever. That is the Athletic Greens product that is filled with 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced nutrients in one convenient daily serving. You just put one scoop in, shake it up with eight ounces of water, start your day with it, get your energy going, and it will have you feeling balanced and supported, both your immune system, your digestive system. It has prebiotics, probiotics to help with your gut health, and it also provides metabolism, energy, and stress support. I wake up in the morning, I go straight to my cabinet to get my athletic greens, start my day like that. I love starting the day with a healthy habit putting this nutrient-dense product into my body. I'm telling you, you gotta try it. They have a 60-day money-back guarantee. And when you go to athleticgreens.com slash Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y, 
you will get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 and five travel packs. You're going to want those travel packs. I took mine with me to Chicago for the race, and every morning in my hotel room, I had my AG1. It helps because you feel like, oh, I'm starting the day the same way I do at home, even when I'm on the go. And plus, when you're traveling, you might not get the nutrient-dense meals that you get at home, so it's that extra security blanket there as well. Like You know you're getting those 75 vitamins and minerals in when you take your AG1 in the morning. Again, go to athleticgreens.com slash Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y, and you will get that free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 plus five travel packs of AG1. All right, friends, back to the show. Um, I was doing a recap over on Relay. <laughs> Relay plug, everybody, patreon.com slash Relay, uh, <laughs> with Kara Goucher and Mike Coe. Um, on Chicago. And I had kind of said, was Emily a dark horse to break the American record? Like just because simply your lack of marathon experience at this point. And Kara was like, wait, 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 don't forget about what she debuted in London, you know, and then you go back and make the Olympic team and the 10,000. So I'm curious, though, like, do you feel like you were an underdog going into Chicago? Like, do you think people were really having their eye on, is she going to try to break the American record as much as you knew you could? I I don't really know what I thought of other people thinking about me, but I was more thinking along the lines, I think I can break this American record. I just don't know if it's going to happen on Sunday or if it's going to happen in like a year or two. But I do believe I can get into that fitness if I'm not there now. Um, but I think for me, I was a little more timid, uh, going into this just because I do lack that experience. And I, like, I had two marathons prior, but I'd only finished one and I just, so I don't have like a lot to go off of. And it was kind of just, it felt like a leap of faith. My coach was like, I think I'd be shocked if you don't run under 220. And he think he said he thought I had a good shot at the American record if I was feeling good. But then it was like the morning of the race, like I was walking to the start line and it's the first time he said the number 218 to me. Mm. I was walking to the start line and this was like way after like we talked to pacers and everything. And he was like, all right, I'll see you in two hours and 18 minutes. And I was like, wait, what? Like that's the first time I've heard you say that number. Um, and then I just kind of forgot about it and went and raced. But yeah, Ray, I feel like has always known. <laughs> and I've just been kind of slowly uh, coming along. I think I gained confidence with experience and I just lacked that. So um, yeah, it just felt like a big leap of faith, I guess. I love that you said that, like, because it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Like everybody is always yeah. analyzing things and actually really think I needed to hear that because I just went to a parent teacher conference of my sons and I felt like walked out feeling like very externally judged. And my husband had to bring me back and be like, it doesn't matter what people think if you know what you're doing is the right thing and you feel it in your gut. And right. I'm just kind of tying that together as you say that, because looking back now, I'm like, well, that question's kind of silly because who cares what other people think when you know <laughs> you know what you are doing and you know the work you've put in. Yeah, I think I, I'd agree with your husband, but I, I do think it comes like with years of experience and probably years of feeling like some judgment that you just kind of, as you get older, it just becomes, I don't know, just not important. I feel like I could get too old. I'm too old now to really care what other people think about my training or about um, my fitness or what I can and can't do. Because at the end of the day, it really just comes down to like me and my team and what um, 
and like what we believe I can do. So, um, but yeah, I think that comes after years. <laughs> I think my skin's gotten a little thicker through the sport. There's been so many good things about um, being a runner. And then there's been some things I think have just made my skin a little thicker. <laughs> so Ray Tracy, you've been coached by him for a very long time. This is your coach for life. Yeah, I, I've been coached for, by him since 2011. Yeah, so like I was like, I was like 19, I think, when I transferred to Providence College. Um, So yeah, he's seen me grow a lot as an athlete. And um, he knows me really well. But what I think is interesting is he knows how I think. (laughs) And uh, so he often I think that's why he gave me the advice not to look at my watch. He just knows me so well. He's like, don't look at it. And, um, and that was great advice. So yeah, I've been working with him for a while. I've, yeah, had lot of success but it's been like a slow like long build um like he never when I first started running at PC like it was very gradual increase in mileage just year after year just trying to um get to like another fitness level and uh, and some years like I wouldn't because I'd be dealing with injuries or setbacks but um yeah it's been yeah long and long slow build to get here I guess um was there any time in this training for Chicago that you like questioned what Ray was giving you and what does that communication look like as far as if your body's not feeling it that day and you need to move things around? Um, I don't know if I questioned it so much as we did change things based on how I was feeling and it was really good for Ray to be there and see uh, how my body was responding to the marathon training because the last two buildups he wasn't there for. I, I mean, he was in Rhode Island and I was in Arizona. So it was just communicating uh, via like email, text and just phone calls. And we're usually really good at communicating what needs to be communicated. But I thought the last two buildups, I remember saying to my husband and actually saying to Ray like briefly once after both of them, I'm like, I think both buildups were too long. Uh, I felt mm-hmm. like I like they just went like a month or so too long for me. And I remember saying that and I just would like forget about it. And then I was doing this marathon buildup. And then I, I actually noticed I was getting fit pretty fast. And Ray was like, oh, wait, hold on. You're going to peak too soon. Uh, we're going to change things up. And he ended up uh, changing my training. He ended up taking out some faster stuff because he didn't want me to peak too early and I it kind of goes along with the last two buildups I did but he wasn't there to kind of see so it was like that was one of those things that was hard to communicate so uh I that was really helpful when he like slowed things down a bit and switched things up but then apart from that we didn't have any setbacks really no injury no illness so it was just a good buildup wow that's like really telling about how important it is for him to maybe be physically present in the marathon (laughs) buildups yeah, that's what uh, we realized this this time. So wow. yeah, we're gonna have to. It's good for him to know that now too. Um, so even if I am doing a marathon buildup in Flagstaff, like maybe we're aware of like what we need to share to see like okay, how is like my fitness progressing? Um, just to make sure I don't peak too early because I'm I'm pretty sure I actually did the last two marathon buildups. So yeah. Do you think that'll mess with your head a little bit? Like you trained so well up there <laughs> in Ro- you were in Rhode Island, right? Yeah, I was in Rhode Island and it did go so well. I mean, every marathon cycle has to be there now and build up. (laughs) No, I don't think it does. I think like we're constantly like adjusting and pivoting based on like how my body's feeling and how like, I don't know. And also like given like what time of year it is like Rhode Island. I love Rhode Island, but like winter is not a good time to train there. (laughs) So I I, like even if we were based there, I'd have to leave during the winter. Um, It's hard to get tempo work in. I've noticed when we're there because like if our bike paths are snowed like over, um, 
yeah, it just like it can get kind of tough. So I'd have to leave for warm weather and I'd have to leave for altitude. And my husband would have to do a lot of driving because we have the dogs. So Arizona does make the most sense, but maybe we plan some trips um, at sea level in Phoenix and some in Rhode Island. And uh, we'll kind of like figure it out as we go. That's typically how we do things. We just figure it out as we go. <laughs> uh, do you think you'll do a spring marathon? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I don't know which one yet, but um, I have some ideas and yeah, a spring or uh, yeah, I don't know. I might look at the world's one. That one's in the summer. But I, yeah, we actually have to work back from the Olympic trials now, which is crazy to say because it just feels like the Olympic year was yesterday. But um, yeah, oh. Olympic trials will be coming up soon. Will it be a year from this February? So it'll be like February, March 2024. So yeah, a yeah. year away. So that's wild. It's coming up so fast. <laughs> so now, and we talked about this on Relay a little bit on the pre-Chicago interview, but, you know, not making that Olympic team in the marathon and then going mm -hmm. and winning the trials in the 10,000. But now that you are the American record holder in the marathon and like, this is kind of your jam again, <laughs> what are your feelings on, on that Olympic team? Um, yeah, I'm really glad I had the experience I did coming back and making it in the 10K. The the marathon trials, like I still, like I know that course wasn't suited for me, but I still don't want to like say this, like create this narrative that I can't run hills because I really don't believe that. <laughs> and I mean, I might find out that's true. Maybe I really can't run hills. Um, but I have been able to run well on hilly courses that um, have been like half marathon and like shorter. And I know the marathon's like a completely different beast to even the half marathon. But one thing my coach said to me once was he thought I could handle hills as long as I have like long stretches of flat road to recover in between. And I think I think he's right on that. So even though like Atlanta didn't go well, I don't want to just say like, oh, it was just that course. Um, I can't run hills. I only need to run flat marathons. Because I don't think that's true. And I do think there are other things I could improve that I don't know I don't know if it would have mattered but like um there's more stuff I'm doing in the gym now to work on my form and kind of prevent my body from breaking down and I think it was breaking down a bit right before Atlanta so maybe stuff like that could have helped um but yeah I don't know like I, I'm so glad I was able to come back and make it on the track after that setback uh, but I, yeah, I don't, I just don't want to write off hilly marathons completely because I just don't know if that's true. <laughs> yeah. You are speedy though. Like, is that your strength? And I ask that just thinking back to, you know, when I mentioned we were doing that recap and I asked Kara, why, why did you never run Chicago? And she said, well, because I know I'm not the fastest one out there and I really wanted to compete for place and whatnot. And I just felt like my body could do more place-wise on those other two courses. She didn't say it just like that, so don't quote me anybody. But <laughs> do you feel like you do have a big strength in that speed given that you are a, a 10K Olympian? I actually do. It's funny. I think on the track, I consider my strength to be my strength. But huh. then on like the roads at the marathon, I consider like that speed to be yeah. a strength. Well. Um, and I do like it's I've noticed just with my training, when I increase the mileage and I'm running like 110 to 115 miles a week, my workouts actually don't slow down that much. And a lot of marathoners, they slow down their workouts a lot and they just do a lot at um, marathon pace, but we do a lot faster than that. So maybe that does help quite a bit um, uh, in terms of running on like flat, faster courses. Uh, 
But yeah, I don't know. I'm still learning a lot about the marathon. And it is interesting to me just talking to different people and hearing how differently you can train for it. Like I, like you can talk to two people that their training is polar opposite, but they can both have a lot of success. So um, I, I find that kind of fascinating on the track. People's training isn't like that different from one another. Totally. Yeah. It's crazy. The science and the, the brilliant minds that must go into <laughs> yeah. coaching these athletes. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. So let's talk about the race a little bit more and we'll wrap up here after that. Uh, we had also mentioned in the pre-race interview that you would have a lot of family out there because you have a lot of family in the Chicagoland area. Where were they on the course? And I know how laser focused you are. Did you hear them? Did you see them? Um, I heard a lot of go Emily's. So I know they were amongst some of those. I just <laughs> know where exactly, but I was actually hanging out with my cousin and her boyfriend last night and they told me like where they went. And I was amazed how many spots they got to. I think they hit like four different spots in the course and they were at, I know they're at the first mile and I know they were at the very end. Um, like as far as the spectators were allowed to go up until the finish. And then they were like, think two or three other spots um so like they were running around like crazy and I like really appreciated that they did that it was really nice um and then just nice catching up with them after I got to have dinner with most of my family that night and then I'm still like getting to catch up with them which is really cool does your family outside of like Shane and those that like really followed your college career your your earlier pro career do they realize the magnitude of what you did um, I like, they're all really excited. So I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, I, I mean, they're like my loudest cheerleaders. So probably. Yeah. Oh, that's so awesome. Um, and then you fall into Shane's arm at the f arms at the finish line. Do you remember what you said to him? Uh, I actually just saw another picture of that today. I look terrible and he's just like holding me up oh. and like my jaws like dropped open. Um, but I, the first thing I said, he said to me, he's like, that was amazing. Mm. And I was like, what did I run? Like I hadn't, I didn't know what my time or place was. And he said, I ran two eighteen twenty nine. And I was like, wait, what? And he was like, that was incredible. And then I saw, um, Ray Tracy, Ray Flynn. I, yeah, I saw them and I saw the previous American record holders as well. So it was a really special moment. It was, um, it was pretty cool. But yeah, I was like falling over and Shane was holding me up. It wasn't like, we don't take the best finish line photos. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love the picture though that you shared of him with like his hands over his mouth. Yeah, yeah, that was really cute. That's like up there with like, I think that's like up there with like the the wedding photos, like walking down the aisle or oh, something. Yes. <laughs> it's like he's in awe of seeing you do what he knows and he's been present for seeing you work so hard for. It was a cute photo to have. Yeah, I think Justin Brennan took that one. So that was pretty cute. Yeah, shout out to the photographers who remember to take pictures of the significant others or yeah. parents or kids or whoever yeah. it is witnessing their person doing the thing. Yeah, because that's really cool for me to have. Like, I feel like I have just so many running photos, but not a ton of like, I don't know, photos like that. But those ones mean a lot. I have ones after the Olympic um, trials in the 10K that I just love. So um, those photos, they just like capture, I feel like all the work we put in and just how like invested we are in each other. So um, that's those mean a lot. Yeah, you would never have known. You know, he's proud of you, but you would have never known that that was what he was doing. Yeah, yeah. No, I never would have seen that. <laughs> oh, that's so, 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 so special. Did you get emotional when you hugged him and got to talk to Joan and Dina and Kira? I'm so I'm kind of weird. I feel like I don't show emotion the same way other people do. <laughs> and I feel like that sometimes makes me look 
like kind of silly, but um, I feel like things like hit me slowly. And like, it was kind of like, after the fact, I was like, wait, this is like, really cool. Um, like, and having those photos then means a lot to me, like the photos of um, like the four uh, American record holders standing together, like it just kind of things like kind of hit me slowly over time. And um, and I do feel things deeply, but I just don't always show it <laughs> in the same way yeah. uh, that people do immediately after like achieving a goal or finishing something. Um, and like, I don't know, it just like kind of keeps sinking in about how cool that was and how much that meant. And, um, and yeah, I don't know, it just like, it was such a great day. And I'm like, really, really excited about it still. You give off just this like, a serious, but also <laughs> calm nature. I, I've been told that. Yeah. Which is my husband like gives me kind of a hard time about that. He's like, you need to show like more of um, like how you are like at home. like how you <laughs> And I was like, and I, and I always think I'm being myself. And he's like, no, <laughs> you're a little more, um, a little more reserved, but I don't know. I feel like once I get to know people, that's when I like uh, can open up a bit more. But I think that's so important that you just do you like, you don't have to yeah. smile extra or, act like being in the media 24 seven is like really fun to you. Like that's yeah. not what you thrive off of. No, I'm, I don't know. I think the older I get, the more content I am. Like, like being myself is just enough. Uh, before the day before the race, I was doing, or it was two days before doing some recordings for, I think it was like NBC. And there was like one line they had to have me keep repeating over and over. Cause I wasn't showing enough emotion. Oh my gosh. Um, and they're like, Emily, just like shout it. And I'm like, you don't understand. This is so <laughs> like, I feel like I am shouting right now. It was something like, I forget what the line was, but they were like showing it on the air during the race. And it was like one line. I just had it repeat it like 20 times. And then they're finally like, fine, whatever, you can leave. <laughs> what was, was the line? Do you remember? It was something about like, um, like, I am so excited for this race or like something along those lines. I don't even remember what it, exactly it was or like, like um, I'm running Chicago or like something <laughs> like that. And they're like, but you need to shout it and you need to be expressive. <laughs> and I was like, oh no. <laughs> That's hilarious. You you remind me of one of my best friends who's, who's like that. But then if you get to be in a small group, she's like got the biggest, belliest laugh. And yeah. also she's a quieter, quiet observer. So like, she always knows what's going on around, but isn't like in the mix of it. Just kind of like she knows you more than you realize. That's that's probably me. Yeah. And I'm like the person. Yeah, I, do, I will laugh a lot when I'm like with my small group and I'll like laugh at my own stupid jokes. Yeah. Way too hard. <laughs> but, yeah, no, that's, that's pretty much me. That's so important, though, that you did that work with Roisin then, because I I truly can't imagine being and I don't I don't want to label you as introverted but whatever it is um in having Definitely introverted yeah that introverted yeah yeah and then having the demands of a media schedule or even doing interviews like this like people are going to want to hear from you and there's that that's like a piece of your career but it must feel exhausting yeah it can if you don't know how to manage it because yeah. like yeah <laughs> Like I was someone, I feel like a lot of extroverts probably don't quite understand. Like I love laying in hotel beds. Like I love like reading and like watching TV and like just like chilling in my hotel bed before 
like a big race. I find that just so relaxing. And so I have to like schedule in breaks to go do that. Um, or even like the day of the race, I kept like going back for like 20 minute naps. I even, this sounds terrible. I did this the week of my wedding too. Um, awesome. <laughs> I'm just like always like this. Um, but like I enjoy so much being around people and the energy. And I love hanging out with my family and friends and getting to know people. But then I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go take a little power nap. <laughs> I'll be back. <laughs> um, so it actually did help so much the work with Ro. So yeah, that's one of like the biggest things that stuck after talking to her, but she gave a lot of good advice. So yeah, it definitely was worth it. Tell me what you were watching in your hotel room. What were we watching? Bad Sisters? Have you heard of that show? It's really good. Oh, actually, yeah. the one of the women that I was staying with, like sent me the text a text and was like, you have to watch this when you get home. It's so good. Yeah, that's really good. I actually still have to watch the finale. Um, we were watching that. I think like House of the Dragon, we might have been catching up okay, on. Okay, my husband's um, watching that. And then what's um the Lord of the Rings one? I've been watching that with Shane because he's a huge Lord of the Rings fan. Okay. Uh, I forget what it's called, but it's like the the spinoff thing or like the the story of like how it started. I don't know. We've been wa- we watched so much, I kind of like lose track. <laughs> oh yeah, I know. Well, I've been really in a slump because I finished my last I finished never have I ever and I'm looking for like a mindless just like happy I can get invested in some like silly romantic situation yeah. and I don't have one right now but a, and I and when oh. I was in Chicago I had two nights to myself before my roommates came and joined me and I had nothing that I was excited to watch and it was such a big bummer oh, I watched the in my taper actually watched a lot of rom-coms but I can't remember what they were now if I think of them, I can email you. Yes, <laughs> please do. Did you ever watch Emily in Paris? Oh, I love that. Yeah. So I know it's like a lot of people give it, it. It's supposed to be one of those shows that's so bad that it's good. But I just yeah. Thought it was good. Oh, <laughs> like, I loved it. I loved it so, so very much. Oh, man. Okay. So you're the half marathon American record holder, marathon American record holder. A silly question would say has would be to say, has that sunk in? I'm like, what are you going to say? Has that sunk in? But I'm just thinking like, <laughs> you know how big of a deal that is. Like, does it feel like a big deal? It, it does feel like a big deal. And I'm like really excited about it. But I think it also just like, I don't know, like something about like being able to, to like achieve these goals. And I like, I already know I like, I want to run faster definitely in the half and someday I'll feel that way about the full too, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but it does kind of just, um, I don't usually like I'm not someone that needs like validation uh, from like other people, but like from like the work we put in to see it kind of um, come to like fruition and that like the work be validated and race results, that kind of means a lot to know, like, we're like working really hard and seeing it pay off and like I'm doing my absolute best and that even though in the future there are so many things that could happen out of my control just to know like, I don't know what we've been doing has been working and it kind of like frees me a little bit I feel like to um want to shoot for even bigger goals and take risks because I'm like well like what's the worst that can happen like I don't know um for some reason it's kind of freeing too at the same time and I know like these records they might not stand that long um I don't think the half one will stand very long at all and the marathon I don't know could be gone in six months again but it's just cool to like be a part of that history moving the record forward and then just I don't know I feel like it kind of like frees me up a bit to want to take even bigger risks and try new things. But two eighteen twenty nine. I mean, you you got it by quite a bit, and it's crazy that Dina held that record for nineteen years, and now yeah. two American women have broken it within the same calendar year. How does that make you feel? How does that make you feel about the 
you know, future of American distance running for women? Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot more impressive um, performances across the board just uh, unfold over the next few years. And just even worldwide, like the women's marathon is really just taking off right now. Um, I saw an interesting stat uh, like yesterday on Twitter about how like 13 of the top like, I don't know, 20 uh, women's marathon times have all been run in 2022 or something like that. Maybe it's 13 of the top 25. Um, But yeah, I don't know. It's just like, it's so deep right now. And I think um, it kind of like, we're just, everyone's raising the bar for each other. And um, and I think it's really cool to be a part of it. And I think we're just going to see a lot of people running fast and hopefully see um, more U.S. women, uh, you know, podiuming or winning um, world majors and I don't know, seeing Molly medal at the Olympics. Like just, this is all really cool and fun to be a part of. So um I think we're going to see even more, which is cool. I'm curious what you and anybody else who's going after the record, you know, we know Sarah Hall has been chipping away Mm -hmm. at it as well. Um, Just to name one other person, but like seeing Kira break that, it's like, you know, it's like when the four minute mile got broken for the first time, it's like, then everybody just kept shattering and shattering and shattering. Do you think that that was important no matter who it was for now, multiple other people to kind of elevate to that level? I feel like it's been brewing for a while, to be honest. And I don't know, um, especially in the half marathon, uh, even more than the marathon, I think there's actually so many women capable of running um, below 67 minutes Mm -hmm. and even under that. And part of it, I think, is it's not so much, um, like maybe it is part of it seeing other women do it, but I do think like a a big part of it's just like having things line up on the day. And especially for the half marathon, there's really only one fast one in the U.S. It's January in Houston every single year. And um, and apart from that, like you don't really have many uh, domestic opportunities to run fast half marathons. And um, even in the marathon, it's similar too. it's really hard to get everything to line up on one day. So uh, I do think there's a lot of women with potential to run pretty fast times. So it's just a bit about preparation, meeting opportunity and uh yeah, I don't know. I think I think we're going to see a lot of women running fast times. All right, Emily, what is the last message slash lesson that you learned from your Chicago Marathon training and experience and becoming the American record holder in the marathon? I guess like just like don't be afraid to go like kind of what Molly said. Just don't be afraid to go all in and go after a big goal. Um, I think when you've been in the sport for a while and you failed a bunch at um, different goals, you kind of realize this is also freeing. You realize that failure really isn't the end of the world. It's not this huge catastrophe. So I think that frees you up a bit. So um, I think just like, don't be afraid to put yourself out there, go for big things. I think if you work hard, like, like sometimes things aren't going to work out, but sometimes they are. So just might as well just keep, keep taking um, chances and yeah, taking shots at, uh, at your goals. I love that. That, That's so beautiful. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks, Emily. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Emily, for coming on the show. I am really grateful that you chose to spend time with us and just so excited for all that you've accomplished and excited to see what you do next. Uh, You can follow Emily on Instagram. She's M underscore Sisson underscore. You can follow me personally. I'm Lindsay Hine 626 on Instagram at Lindsay Hine on Twitter. And you can learn more about this podcast network when you go to sandyboyproductions.com. 
Friends, thank you for being here. Have a great rest of your day. And we'll see you this Friday with a regular Friday episode. Also, don't forget, four more Chicago episodes coming out over these next two weeks. Have a great rest of your day.